Good morning. Thank you, Taylor, for that song. In case you didn't hear, she married my son. And they lived happily ever after. Let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you now, and we come before you in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this day which you've made. We thank you that we can rest in it, knowing that and what you've accomplished at Calvary, and that having accepted you as our Lord and Savior, we have a hope eternal. We have such a life awaiting us, of which we've been told a little, and yet we can't hardly comprehend or understand the magnitude of the life we will have with you once we see you face to face. And so we look forward to that, and that helps us through this life as we attempt to be the lighthouses in such a dark world, looking to you to illuminate us, to attract people to us for your glory and your honor and their salvation. Now we just pray these things this morning in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to tell you a little story this morning that someone gave to me. I can't take credit for it. But it's about a Christian couple who, for the most part, got along just fine. They were pretty much a unit. But over the years, there's one thing that they seem to have a problem with, if you could call it one. And that was... Who was going to make the coffee every morning? You know, they both had great arguments, and they used to discuss this often. The wife said to the husband, listen, you get up an hour before me. All you have to do is take two minutes and make it, and it's done. And the husband would lovingly reply, listen, you do the cooking I do the working. That's your job. But today, the wife had a little bit of an edge that the husband didn't yet realize because she had gotten a revelation from God in the word. And so he just fell right in her trap. And she says, well, I think God wants you to make the coffee. He goes, Really? What makes you think that? She says, it's in the Word. And the Word is what we rely on. And she was getting pretty cocky. And he goes, okay, all right. You show me in the Word, it's a done deal. She says, sure. She took him to the Word. She took him to one Word. In the Bible, he brews. <laughs> and from that day on, guess who made the coffee? 
<clears throat> Slightly out of context, possibly. But she won the argument. So, unfortunately, men, we have many references today from the book of Hebrews. So I apologize now because you don't have much to stand on from here on out. But what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about the promises of God. The promises of God that await us in the word of God. And for my text this morning, would you please turn to, sorry, fellas, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 23. The book of Hebrews. Just before James, chapter 10, and verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We need to find, we need to discover, we need to understand the promises in the word of God. This is really essential in our Christian walk. And a big part of the word of God are the promises. And if we are good students of his word, we will find them. I can remember as a young Christian And at the time, not in good fellowship, uh, not in good teaching, yet to discover a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church as we have here. Boy, when I'd read my Bible and I'd stumble onto one of his promises, it simply made my day. It was a joyous thing to discover. They're like for maybe a miner in the caves digging away when he finally hits a little nugget of gold. It's pretty sensational. Well, for me, it was pretty sensational. And actually, you know, it still is. To this day, it is. As I look, either for the first time or after many times, at the promises of God. What is a promise? According to Webster's, it is a declaration, written or verbal, Binding the person making it to do or not to do a specified act. To engage to do or refrain from doing to afford hope or expectation. For us in Christianity, who is our promise giver? Someone just whispered, Jesus Christ. True. Our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ are our promise givers. And we find them in the Word of God. Now, I'm going to be giving you an awful lot of Scripture references, so please don't bother trying to get to them. Rather, just hear what they have to say 
Later, if somebody wants a copy, we can get you one. But here we have, sorry, fellows, I, I warned you, Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 say, In the same way, God even more to show to the heirs of the promise, that being us, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Therein is a foundation for us when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to our God. He does not lie. Whether the promise be good or not so good, in the case of those, he promises if you do not repent, if you do not go my way, if you do not return to me, this is what will happen. Is it not so good? But he tells the truth. He always tells the truth. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. As you as you read, as we read these verses this morning, I hope you can be encouraged to be diggers in the word of God, not just readers. Not just scanners, not just from time to time, but to be diggers in the word of God. A quote. God makes a promise. Faith believes it. Hope anticipates it. Patience quietly awaits it. Again, where do we find our promises? The word of God. The world, you know, it looks for hope in so many ways, in so many things, in activities, in, in situations, in people, places, things. They just thrive to look and, and hope to glean some hope, to find a promise of this or find a promise of that. But for Christians, here is the treasure chest. This is just a magnificent book. This is to us what those who sought to discover uh, treasuries of old, whether it be in, in the pyramids of Egypt or under sea or wherever it was, once they found the place and they opened it, and their eyes just fell upon the riches that they discovered, whether it be in historical facts or genuine monetary riches. It was just something to behold. But I tell you one thing. In eternity, with eternity in view, it pales compared to the word of God. How do promises help us? They help us in that they lead us to Christ for salvation. And if you're here this morning 
and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the path to discovering him, the promises that are here for you are unbelievable. And we're going to touch some of those today. Promises help us in that they keep us in Christ. They keep us walking with him. They keep us hopeful. A quote says, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And why are promises so important to Christians? They are the lighthouse in a dark, dark world. They are our roadmaps to get through this life. Because that's what we're doing. We're getting through this life because there's a better one coming. There's a better one, so much better. We, we discover some about it here. There's some real promises in here about it that are pretty darn exciting. But those who have gone on before us understand much more than we when you enter into heaven. It's just something to marvel at. It is just something beyond description. No more sadness. No more despair. No more fear. No more tears. No more weariness. No more anxiety. Just complete wonderment at the goodness of God. So they are roadmaps. In Psalm 119.105 it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. This is what helps us navigate through this dark world. And the promises in it are the thing that encourage us. The thing that that cancel out the fear as we look upon this dark world with all its wickedness, with all its ugliness, with all its sin, the promises propel us past those things. As God reminds us what kind of life we have. Promises lead us to salvation. They enlighten us. Matthew 6.33, one of my all-time favorites. Um, one that I discovered early on in my Christian walk. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all else shall be added unto you. Wow. That should stir a thirst in those who don't know him. If it doesn't, God simply calls that person a fool, not to, to insult, although it may seem insulting. It just is. If God is handing someone a gift of eternal life, a gift of being with him in a glorious place forever, never stops forever versus pain and anguish and horrific torture in darkness, not with your chums sitting around a table 
sucking up the suds. No, there's none of that. Oh, you hear it, don't you? You hear it. You hear I don't care. I'm going to hell. Me and my buddies are going to have a ball. You know, sorry. Sorry. There is no fun times in hell. It's in darkness forever. Peace, joy, love forever. Or torture and agony and dismay and and lack of hope forever. I think we can see how God can call the person a fool who doesn't want this. Matthew eleven twenty eight and thirty. I don't know about you, but before I came to know the Lord, besides being arrogant and proud and full of sin, there was in the emotional side tired. Tired. Sin makes you tired. Sin eventually will drive you down. How about this one? For a promise. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Or, you see it everywhere, but it doesn't make it any less truthful. It doesn't make it any less of a promise. You see it hanging at football games. As they hang it, they're trying to say, hello, duh. All right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Man, that's a promise. They also can convict us as we're coming to Christ and beyond But Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick, or in other versions, wicked. Who can understand it? I don't know about you, but I never, you know, and it was kind of a strange paradox, I think, in that I didn't believe in God on one hand, but I had no denial that I was a sinner. So, if you don't believe in God, how can you be a sinner? That was it, though. I knew I was a sinner. I had no doubt of that. No one ever had to convince me of that when I came to Christ. That was a done deal. I knew where I was headed. Now, some think they're a little better shape. Some think that maybe they go to church. Some think they give a little bit here. They give a little bit of time there at Red Cross. They give a little more time there at the hospital. And I'm not that bad. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Boom, there's another promise. Not so good promise when you're on the wrong side of Christ. But true. You're never good enough. Never. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. They lead us to repentance and salvation. Now, this is pretty glorious stuff. I love these verses. If you're there this morning and you don't know him and you think you've got it figured out, well, you don't. But here comes 
the lifeboat. Here comes the life ring. Here comes the rescue squad to pick you up and save you. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God who will abundantly pardon. We heard that about that this morning, didn't we? How marvelous is that? It's done. It's done. It's finished. No one can come back and say, hey, I got some paper on you. You're mine. The devil can't do that. You go, sorry. It's been paid in full. Nothing is left for me to do. Jeremiah 31:34b says, "For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more." Some people have a hard time with that. Oh, I'm just I've done too much. I'm just too rotten. You're never too rotten. You've never done too much for Christ. Blood is bigger than that. You simply need to say these words that are such a glorious promise to just give you the highway to heaven, the highway to eternal life. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth... Or with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, confesses resulting in salvation. You do this, it's a done deal. To not do this is foolishness. Hence the word fool. There are those who think they've got it figured out. There are those who think they have the way to heaven or they found a good way. Hey, I found a better way. You know, I've heard this guy say this. Or I've seen this religion do that. Or I can do so many things here and that takes care of the whole deal. Well, promises can also correct error. Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. Pretty sobering. They can also give us victory through a life of obedience, these promises. This is, again, one of my favorites. Um, I call it the fringe benefits of a life in Christ. And who better to give it to us than David? Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. And you can see, as we read it, he's pretty darn excited about these promises, about these benefits in our life with Christ. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. 
There you go. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Wow, heals all your diseases. Sins can be like diseases. Alcoholism, drug addiction, and other things. He heals those. He lets people get up and walk away from those. Who redeems your life from the pit. And boy, weren't we in it. And if you don't know him this morning, you're in a pit. Whether you like it or not, you're in a pit. And you're in a doomed state without him. Who crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. I wasn't a very compassionate person before I came to know him. I was more of a kind of a law and order guy. You did what's wrong, tough. That's it. God gave me compassion for people. God gave me love for people. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your, re- your youth is renewed like the eagle. When we're walking with Jesus, the walk is light no matter what we're in. When we're walking with Jesus, when we're letting him have his way with our life, when we're, when we're holding on to those promises that are in the word of God, there is a lightness to our step. And when we're not, it's a heavy walk. Jeremiah 7.23 But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. And you will be my people. And you will walk it all the way which I command you, that it may be well with you. How about that? How often people don't want to do that. They don't want to let him have his way in their life. Man, does it get bad. It's horrible if you're not a Christian. And if you're a Christian and you're in rebellion, it's just bad. It's just anguish until we turn back to him and believe his promises. The promises can help us with temptation. And it's out there in every kind, every way. But we have to be willing to look at them. We have to be willing to believe them. And we have to be willing to act upon them. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is one of the most encouraging verses for a Christian in the Bible. In relationship to the walk we have. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is as common to man. And God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. That's just marvelous to me. That's just wonderful. Second Peter 2.9 says, The Lord know how to rescue the godly from temptation. If we turn to God, when temptation comes our way, he will show us how to get out of it, how to refuse it, how to just turn it away. We always think of Joseph, don't we? Came his way, 
He just hit the road. Well, let's ponder it here for a minute. Let's reason it out. He just took off. He wasn't going to stay around to discuss it or have orientation or to have discussions with Potiphar's wife. She came. She made the proposal. He split. Didn't care what the consequences would be. I'm not. Is that what we do in our life? Is that what we do in our life when temptation comes our way? Do we reject it and turn to Christ who will give us the strength to do it? We must. We must believe those promises and we must trust him. And they help us with restoration. When things haven't gone so well, they're there. They're there for us. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and the land of the west. And I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. How about that? That's for us. It wasn't just for the Israelites of old. That is for us. That is what he will do for us. In restoration, this is just marvelous, very well known to most of us. First John 1 John 1.9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Hebrews, sorry, brothers, chapter 10, verse 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Slates clean. They encourage us. Promises do. Um, Probably one of the most printed verses of Scripture that you'll see places like Christian bookstores because it has such an impact in our life. It's such a glorious promise. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for a future and a hope. Doesn't get any better than that. They can also help us to be good givers. To be good givers in a lot of ways, but also monetarily. They can help those that sadly rob God in spite of what he's willing to do for them. There are those who just don't want to honor God with their tithing. But for them, listen to this verse, because this is a great promise. Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows, many in here know, have trusted God, When things weren't too good, 
but they continued to honor God with their tithing, they got better, didn't they? Because that's his principle. He doesn't need our money. He does not need our money. But he's trying to show us his principles. Give, and I will honor you. They teach us to be loyal. Hosea 6.6 For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. He what? What? Delights in... Boy, isn't that kind of an interesting contrast to today's world. Man, they want to make loyalty look bad. They want to make it look like some simplistic, imbecilic action. There is nothing better than loyalty. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. They help us to live a victorious life. Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5. Another glorious promise from his word. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell. Dwell. That means you have to be there. You have to be there with him. For this scripture to work, for this promise to be able to take and hold, you have to be there. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. We hear it. The jotty one note. From the pulpit all the time. I will honor those. Okay, let's try that again. I will honor those. Done deal. God says, test me. Test me. Promises are our anchors for us in the trials of this life. But if you don't go here, you won't know them. You won't discover them. You need to de- you need to be diggers in his word. In conclusion, then, how should we live? When God gives us promises, do we really believe him? I think Paul did, you know. I think Paul loved to read the scriptures of the Old Testament. I think he just loved to discover the promises of God in there. I think they're what helped make him such a remarkable man of God. And I'm sure he never really thought about it, but when he wrote all those books in here, I don't think he had any idea how many promises he was writing down in the books Paul wrote to encourage all of us after him. But here's why I think he knew that. Because of what he said when death loomed, when his end was at hand, and it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good death. But here's what he had to say in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I think he did that in part because of the promises he gleaned from God to encourage him and to help empower him in what he did for God. And so in closing, I want to read you a poem, a poem, excuse me. So if everyone would just bow your heads and close your eyes. Just listen to what this has to say. My Savior's grace is promised me. His tender love and care. His deep concern in every grief. Each burden he will share. My Father's care is promised me. His faithful guiding hand. To lead me on and bear me up to heaven's golden strand. My father's wealth is promised me, supplying all my need. He is a king and I his own. I am rich, yes, rich indeed. The Holy Ghost is promised me to in my heart abide. To hold me steady, pray for me, and keep me sanctified. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts that we have so many promises to look at, to discover, to glean, to hold on to, to claim. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we've had this time We thank you that we have your word of God. We thank you for the promises that it contains. And we just pray to you now and give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.